This podcast is brought to you by the American Enterprise Institute. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, review, and share. Thanks for listening. Here's our show. What in the hell's going on? What the hell is going on? What the hell is going on? I don't know what the hell he's talking about. You don't have to know what the hell is on it. What the hell's the matter with these guys? We don't know what's going on. What the hell's going on? Who in God's name knows what it's all about? Hi, I'm Danielle Fletka. And I'm Mark Thiessen. Welcome to our podcast, What the Hell is Going On? Mark, what the hell is going on in New Hampshire? So I'm here at the uh, Fox News campus at the Bedford Inn in Bedford, New Hampshire. Uh, we just got through election night, primary night, and Donald Trump won. But uh, it was a tighter race than most people expected. Nikki Haley, the highest she had been in the polls uh, in the RCP average, she was at 36%. And she ended, looks like she's going to win uh, just over 42%. So she showed some strength, but it wasn't enough to, uh, to knock off Donald Trump. Yep. And that's the bottom line is, is. you know, what do they say? Close, but no cigar. Um, Exactly. And and that's obviously the problem for for Nikki Haley. We talk with our guest, Josh Kraushauer, um, about uh, just about about the pathway forward. But I mean, for me, I've got to say, I think 2024 as a question mark is over. I think the only really outstanding question here is whether we're going to get a, a, a serious third party. What do you think? Well, I mean, there's there's certainly a path for it after last night. Um, so think about this. So Donald Trump, you know, he, he's he's pointing out that he's won the New Hampshire primary, the only person in history to win it, win it three times and seems like a pretty solid win. But, you know, first of all, he you know, he's the quasi incumbent, right? He's the Republican, not sitting, but just recently sitting Republican president. He was offended that anyone would even deign to challenge him for the nomination. This is his party. This is his movement. He runs the Republican Party. And, uh, you know, so he should run away with it. In 2020, when he ran in the New Hampshire primary, he won 84 percent of the vote against uh, Bill Weld, who got 9 percent. So he's dropped 30 points since in the last four years. Uh, in, well, in the I, that's not a, not not that I want to be in the position of defending Donald Trump, but yeah. um, Bill Weld wasn't really a Republican. Well, obviously, um, but I mean, the point really is the Republican, Republican quasi-incumbent, the, the leader of the Republican Party, he's never ceded that leadership mantle after leaving office, should pretty much run away with it. And, you know, if, if you go back the last time that there was a challenge to a Republican incumbent was back in 1992 when Pat Buchanan challenged George H.W. Bush. Buchanan got 38% of the vote here in New Hampshire to Bush's 52, and the New York Times headline was Bush jarred in first primary. The lead said President Bush scored a less than impressive victory over Patrick J. Buchanan, the conservative commentator. Haley did a lot better than that. Um, That should be jarring, not in the sense that it threatens Trump's grip on the nomination, but in the sense that it signals general election weakness going forward. You know, Buchanan didn't win the nomination, but Bush didn't win a second term. And, you know, right now, Donald Trump failed to win over in New Hampshire a lot of the voters that he would need to win in a general election. He's bleeding centrists, independents. You point out that you were so surprised how many independents he got. I was surprised how few independents he got. You know, 35 percent of Republicans in New Hampshire said they will not vote for him in November. So he's it. I think this primary 
exposed a general election vulnerability that Donald Trump has that he's got to figure out a way to close. And certainly his uh, speech, <laughs> his uh, his victory speech wasn't uh, part of the healing process. Yeah, no, that that's really true. And I think obviously we've talked about this a jillion times before, but mean, bully, jerk Donald Trump is not the good Donald Trump for, for the future. It would be nice to have a happy warrior, but, but there isn't one. Uh, like there, the guy who came on this podcast uh, before right. the 2020 election right. and charmed but, you. But Trump- Right, but Trump, but Trump is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You know, he can be he can be that nice guy, but he often chooses not to, uh, and and that's the challenge. I I think I'll, one of the things that's interesting to me is that he really won't be able to be on the campaign trail for most of the year now. Everybody says that that's going to be a liability because he's going to be in a lot of courtrooms, and I think that's absolutely true. I think the really Um, interesting thing is nobody talks about the fact that Joe Biden isn't going to be on the campaign trail either. This is a man who holds one public event. Right. He's (laughs) going to be sleeping. But that that's right. Okay. And and one of the things that we talked a lot about on on NBC was the fact that Democrats are actually really, really worried. There was a campaign shakeup on Tuesday night. Uh, in the Democratic uh, in the Democratic campaign for president for 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 Biden, they brought in a whole bunch of quote unquote new blood, and that is a reflection of fears about him. I just you know this is just uh, so so the question that that I'm now being asked all the time is so what's a Trump presidency going to be like? <laughs> and I mean I've said the same thing every time, which is who the hell knows? What do you think? Yeah, who the hell knows? Um, I don't know if there's. I mean, first, we got to get to past whether there will be a Trump presidency. I mean, one of the, one of the reasons I think that Trump has actually uh, pulled away with the nomination is this perception that he actually can beat among Republicans. That he actually can beat Joe Biden. I mean, Joe Biden. If you look, I, I check the five. Anyone can beat Joe Biden. Well, well, yes, that's true. But but here's the thing: I regularly check the five thirty eight average of, of polling, which shows. Not just Biden's uh, unpopularity, but com- you can check him against every president in the modern polling era going back to 1945. And Joe Biden is right now the most unpopular president in the history of presidential polling. You used to have to say, except for Jimmy Carter, but he's now, uh, last time I checked, 11 points less popular than Jimmy Carter was at this point in his presidency. Uh, when he was going into his election against Ronald Reagan. He is underwater on every single issue. There's not a single issue in the country where voters approve of his performance. Uh, right, but they're not going to replace him. think that he's too old. The majority think that he's mentally incompetent to be president, literally, if you look at the polls. And yet, Donald Trump is statistically tied with him in the real their politics average. I think he leads him now by two or three points. But the, but there are all these stories. And so Nikki Haley's case to Republican voters was, I know your hearts, I mean, she didn't say it this way, but it basically says, I know your hearts with Donald Trump, but go with your head. I'm in, you look at my polls against Joe Biden, I'm leading him by double digits in multiple polls. We could have a landslide. And Republicans would look at that and say, oh, gosh, I have to choose between my heart and my head. And then all of a sudden, all these polls came out showing Trump leading Biden and stories were Democrats panicking that Trump could actually win. And so they said, why do I have to choose between my heart and my head? I can go with my heart and pick Donald Trump and uh, and he's going to win. Joe Biden can't possibly win reelection. Well, yes, he can. 
Yes, he can. <laughs> yeah, he can. He can, and in my view, in my view, when push comes to shove, he he, he will simply because they've got a bunch of issues that they're going to run on, and if the economy is, let's just say, in an upward trend, I don't think it'll be recovered by then. But um, but of course. It's not in anybody's interest to see this happen, and, and the majority of Americans don't want it to happen. No chance that, that the Democrats are going to replace Biden, right? No, I don't think so. And uh, especially now that Trump is, seems to be locking on the nomination, he's the he's the candidate they want. I mean, you, I'm I'm here with you know Juan Williams and a bunch of Democrats who are uh, Fox commentators, and if you ask them, you know, who's the Democrat you most afraid of, they'd say Nikki Haley. I mean, one, one, one you know, who's the Republican? Yeah, you're most Nikki Haley was the nominee. He, she'd beat Biden by 20 points. I mean, that, that that's the that's the perception here. And, you know, and this is the other thing also that, you know, the, that's frustrating about the Trump world is they've been attacking her. They've been saying, oh, the, she's all these Democrats are crossing over to vote in the Republican primary. Actually, it was only eight percent. And they had to do it. They had to sign up like, by October 7th or something like that. So there weren't actually that many Democrats. But there's a lot of independents in this state and she's not really winning with republicans there are all these democrats voting for her and these independents voting for her it's like i'm sorry that's the exact people you need to win in a general election you know how did how did ronald reagan beat jimmy carter the reagan democrats right who became republicans because of him the republicans need haley democrats to beat joe biden and so my worry is that they're 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 not even focused on winning over the Haley Democrats. Um, and, you know, they, they, I think the attitude is, well, where are they going to go? Are they going to vote for Joe Biden? Well, no, but they could vote for no labels. If 35% of Republicans in New Hampshire are not going to vote for uh, Donald Trump, but they also might not want to vote for uh, Joe Biden, well, what if there's a no labels ticket, a centrist bipartisan third party ticket? They might vote for them. So there could be, you know, there's a, there's, there's a lot that could happen in this election still. Okay, well, I guess you give me hope that we won't have to have the same conversation over and over again. And we do talk oh, about no, a lot will. of these. We will. We, will. <laughs> we do talk about these issues with our guest, our recidivist guest this week. Uh, Josh Karshauer is the editor in chief of Jewish Insider, which, if you guys don't get it, is really a great daily newsletter. If you're not interested only in American politics, but in some of the foreign policy issues um, that that Mark and I often talk about, I really love. I love the Jewish Insider mailings. He's also a political analyst for Fox News Radio. He's a frequent compatriot of Mark Thiessen on Fox News. And today he's our guest. Here's our interview. Josh, welcome back to the pod. Great to be back with you guys. So you and I are both here at the Bedford Inn in uh, Bedford, New Hampshire. We were for Fox News coverage of the New Hampshire primary. I just was on Fox and Friends. You're about to go on America's Newsroom to uh, give your insights. Tell us what your top line takeaway is. Tell us what you're going to tell them. Well, look, I, <laughs> Tell us what you're going to tell them before you tell them. <laughs> well, well, as I was on air last night, I mean, I, I thought this was going to be, and it was a pretty pretty resounding victory for Donald Trump. Uh, he won, as it looks, by, by 12 points. That, that's a significant number by, by any, any, anyone's standard. When you look at the, the exit polls, uh, Trump is leading among New Hampshire Republicans by, by a significant margin, 40 plus points. So you would have thought that Donald Trump would have gone on stage, been as magnanimous as he was in Iowa and not let any of the critics get under his skin. But we all know Donald Trump all too well. And that just didn't happen. That did not sound like a victory speech last night. If anything, it only will incentivize Nikki Haley to stick around 
uh, and, and play this out uh, until the, the South Carolina primary. And look, that's not good for the Republican Party. It's not good for Donald Trump. And, and it makes what was a, you know, what I would have said was a pretty clear win last night into a much more mixed political picture. So there were two really happy people last night. One of them was angry, bitter, fifth grade bully Donald Trump. Um, and yes, I am now reusing lines I used on NBC last night. <laughs> Which is- because, because Where you guys are at the NBC meet. They're the, the hell podcast. This is, this is convergence. Uh, I know. Well, it's true. I'm sitting here in the you know no tell motel in Times Square because I came up because well known political expert that I am. I uh, I was doing exactly the same thing that you guys were doing for NBC. But I said this. That speech was incredible. Now, part two of that though was that Joe Biden echoed Donald Trump yesterday and said the Republican primary is over. I'm going to be up against Donald Trump because, of course, he has wanted to get to this moment so desperately. Are we just going to see a replay of 2020? Well, look, Joe Biden can feel a little bit better, I think, about his political prospects looking at the results in New Hampshire and looking at Donald Trump's behavior last night. I mean, number one, Joe Biden wasn't competing in New Hampshire per se, but he certainly had a lot on the line with this write-in campaign in a, in a state that didn't, you know, was was an unsanctioned primary. And he ended up getting uh, almost 70% of the vote, which I think is a, a solid number. But the bigger number, guys, that I'm looking at is among Republicans, just among Republicans in New Hampshire, 25% of Republicans said that they would have trouble uh, supporting Donald Trump if he's the nominee. 20% of, of Republicans in Iowa voted for, for Nikki Haley. That's going to be a critical, critical constituency when we look ahead if Trump is a nominee into a, into a general election. Uh, Trump needed to get the party together. He needed to unify the party, whether Haley was sticking around or not. Like that was the, the key message he needed to deliver last night. And instead, it makes you wonder, you know, what Haley's going to do, uh, you know, not, not, not even just in South Carolina, but going past that, whether there is maybe the possibility of a, a no labels candidacy. Like if, if I was Nikki Haley a few days ago, I would have thought she might be a prospect for the, to be Trump's running mate, a way to unify the Republican Party. Now I think, you know, her car- cards may, may actually lie in being a very appealing candidate to independent voters, Republican-leaning independent voters who uh, liked her message and who have been voting for her, not, not enough to win primaries, but to get about 25% of the vote, both in Iowa and New Hampshire. So, you know, I, I think we have a lot more questions going forward. I think the, what, what looked like a fait accompli, what looked like the Nomination wrapping up, perhaps, uh, after New Hampshire. Now there are a lot, of, a lot of questions. There's a lot of drama going forward. I agree with you. I mean, you know, Trump last night uh, pointed out that he's the first pr- person in history to win the New Hampshire primary three times. The last time he won it, he won it 86 to 9 over Bill Weld in 2020, uh, where he was the incumbent. He's effectively the incumbent, you know, isn't he? He, he's never seated leadership of the party. He thinks that uh, it's uh, an outrage that anyone would challenge him, that he's the rightful Republican leader of the Republican Party. And yet he only pulled off, you know, 50, uh, 54 percent in a Republican primary yesterday. I mean, that's isn't that a sign of general election weakness? Yeah, I mean, look, I think there are two ways of looking at it. I mean, number one, Trump is the first, I believe, the first Republican candidate to actually win both the uh, non, non-president, non-incumbent. Uh, to win both the Iowa caucuses and the New Hampshire primaries. And I don't think that should be underestimated. That's a sign of his strength and the sign of the fact that this Republican Party is now now the Trump Republican Party. But, Mark, you make a great point. Like, at the same time, for someone who is leading the party to see 
you know, 40, 45% of the vote go against you. And even among Republicans, I'm just looking at the Republican vote too. It's 25%, 25% of that, that, that partisan Republican vote is, is still, um, much more in the Nikki Haley camp. And that's a faction that is not, uh, going to be going away. And it's one that Republicans need a, um, you know, woo. And by the way, like listening to Vivek Ramaswamy last night, you know, saying okay. that, you know, Haley represented America last. Uh, that is not a way to build, build a party. That is a way to push away those voters. Um, and that's a, that's a real problem politically. Uh, it's clearly that, that you know, as, I think as strong as Trump was in Iowa, being magnanimous, trying to bring the party together, he tried to push away some of the voters he needs the most after last night. Yeah. So can we talk a little bit about independence? One thing that kept sort of resonating last night was that Nikki Haley didn't do well enough with independence that she was able to overcome the gap with Republicans. Okay. So she did better with independence than Trump, obviously, but a significant chunk of independents actually voted for Donald Trump, which to me was surprising. So is that a potential strategy for him? I mean, independents at the end of the day in November are going to have to vote for somebody, right? And there are going to be two guys there or maybe three. So it's a, it's a really fascinating question. Um, independents come come in all shapes and sizes. Uh, they're they're the, they're the affluent suburban independents that have been moving away from from sort of the the party, and then there are also a lot of working class voters that are coming into the Republican Party because of Trump. So you know, independents can encompass a lot of different. I, I think in, the, in New Hampshire they tend to be a little more moderate, but they do come in all shapes and sizes. You know, I think the weakness for Haley though is you know she wants to go forward to South Carolina, and it sounds like she's going to be doing that. But you can't win with 20. I mean, 25% is a, is a nice number, but it's not a majority. So you, you she, I thought she could have done better with Republicans. Like these are, these are not all, um, Trump, you know, the, the base, uh, Trump voters. There, there are a lot of Republicans, I think, that certainly would have considered voting for Nikki Haley. And her campaign was, um, a lot more about electability, a lot more about tone. And there wasn't a ton of policy. And I think that may be a regret that that when you look back at how, how she ran her campaign, I think she could have gotten when you look at the exit polls from from Fox and all, and, and every, all the other uh, surveys, you know, you see that the base was not a majority. But there's a lot of sort of somewhat Trump voters who ended up liking Haley, but ended up sticking with Trump. And I think that was her shortcoming, the fact that she didn't do enough with the Republican uh, voters, the registered Republican voters. I also heard criticism of her that she really actually didn't spend enough time on the ground in New Hampshire. I don't know whether that's true. I know that her mother is sick, and so she had to go home at a certain moment. But is is that, I mean, is, is she running a good campaign? Look, I, I think she's run a very good campaign overall. I, I think the message, she's sort of stuck between a rock and a hard place because she, she's she's run on sort of, in what I call intangible issues, like the electability, will Republicans win the House and the Senate, the chaos, the tone. Um, ultimately, I, I, I think that's a reality to the fact that, you know, the Republican Party has changed since uh, 2016. It's changed over the last uh, decade. And I think she didn't want to take off some of the bit, you know, she was trying to kind of try to strike a middle ground, but ultimately avoided some of the big policy debates. Trump was hammering her on immigration, by the way. Like if you watch TV here in New Hampshire, almost every ad from the Trump super PAC, and they were all hitting her on immigration. And I don't think she really and responded. Social security too. Social security and, t- and, t- yeah, and she, she basically said, go to my website, you know, go to my website. They're lying about me. But she didn't really offer a really substantive, in my, at least in my view, a really good response about what she's actually going to do on those fronts. So I think she could have been much more nimble. 
I also think that New Hampshire is one of the great things about New Hampshire is, you know, you do these town halls, you, you subject yourself to the questions of, of every random voter in every town. And look, I think she did a pretty, she had a pretty rigorous schedule in the end, but I think she probably could have taken more questions from, from voters, subject, subjected herself, been a little more authentic perhaps, um, and not stuck to the talking points as much as she did uh, in the final couple of weeks. So her campaign put out a memo last night about, you know, the path forward. Um, you know, has her path narrowed or has it closed with what's happened last night? And is this just a fool's errand to keep going? Well, look, uh, South Carolina is her home state. A successful Haley campaign would have been, I think, a win or a really close second place finish. And then using that momentum into South Carolina. I think what actually is happening now may be actually a little more... Um, Interesting. Uh, I think most candidates might actually drop out, endorse the the front runner, and, and bring the party together. Trump certainly expected that, and that's why he was so salty last night. But what's her path forward? I mean, like she's going the South Carolina primary is not for another month, right? Super Tuesday that then, then takes place. I mean, she sounds like she's in this race for the long haul, and um, I don't think that's a way to win the Republican nomination this year. I don't know if that helps her win in the future. I mean, I think she's burning some bridges, frankly, with, with the Republican Party if she keeps this going. So as I, I, I kind of wonder about this no label. I mean, she said she's not going to run. She's a Republican. She's not going to run third party. She's not going to run no labels. But that, given her appeal with some of these independents and given the fact that she has actually sent a message in this campaign that she's a new generational leader against two, you know, 70, 80 year olds, um, that is something that is exactly what uh, you know, the kind of third party message that actually could get some traction. Now, I, she would burn bridges with her, her party. She would never be able to, you know, she wouldn't be able to run for the Republican nomination if she went in that path. But I wonder if she, they're, they're actually seriously considering that as an option after the results last night and also after her, her you know, Trump's comments, uh, really, really just napalming, uh, Haley in his speech last night. Mark and I have been talking a lot about no labels and it's a really interesting question. I want to ask somebody who really pays attention to the math, though. Okay, so look, we've got 100,000 people who participated, you know, 100,000 plus in New Hampshire. We've got, you know, 15% uh, of the Republican electorate in New Iowa that participated. So clearly we don't have an idea about the total population that could be voting. 60, 65% of Americans consistently tell pollsters, I don't want to vote for Joe Biden or Donald Trump. All right, fair enough. Is there really, let, let's say that Nikki chooses it and let, and even if she doesn't, let's say that she, she, either way, if there's a third, uh, third way here, and I don't want to call it that, those guys are Democrats. If there's a no labels way forward here, is it actually winnable in 2024 America? I'm, I'm skeptical. I've always been skeptical about third party candidacies, but I will say that if there's any election where you could have a market for a younger, uh, kind of up the middle candidate. And by the way, like Haley is the right kind of candidate. If you, if you want to have a successful third party candidacy, it has to be someone who's, you know, not, not, not sort of pro-life, sort of in, appeals to Republican, you know, who, who can appeal to those 25% of Republicans and also maybe be able to get some of the moderate Democrats. I also think the fact that there are other third party candidates running. So, so like the bar to winning a state in this election, given the presence of Robert Kennedy, given the presence of Cornell West, Jill Stott, you might only need 35% of the vote, right? Or 30, you know, like who knows how these campaigns are going to be run and who's going to qualify. So the bar is going to be a little bit lower than usual to that needing to actually win a state. 
So look, I, I'm I mean, I, I'm not saying that this is like likely or this is this is a you know uh, she has a really good chance of winning or anything like that. But if there's any environment where you have health questions, age questions, um, a, a deep dissatisfaction, sanity with, questions, yeah, a deep a deep, de- deep dissatisfaction with the, the two two leading candidates. That this is the environment, and Haley is the type of. I, I've been very skeptical of like these Democrats with Joe Manchin and some of these Democrats that don't have a lot of visibility, and frankly are too liberal to win over Republican voters. You know, Haley is a she's a you know two-term Republican governor who actually, actually has appeal even among some of the Trump voters out there. So um, I think I think it's an interesting choice that she's going to have to think about if, if she's if she I don't know if she's thinking about it, but it certainly after what happened last night opens up another alternative. But quick follow up about that: if she chooses it. And she doesn't win. Doesn't that destroy her career as a Republican forevermore? Yes, but if you know, if I was advising Haley, I might not have. I might have conceded. I mean, if she wanted to stay in good graces with the party, I may not have uh, said she's going to fight on to South Carolina because she's already. You know, you look at the Trump is the establishment. Like he's gotten the last night, he continued to get more endorsements uh, from from Republicans. Senator Cornyn uh, endorsed him last night. uh, a, A congressman from a Biden part of New district in New York uh, also endorsed uh, Donald Trump. So she is now sort of the insurgent candidate. And I don't know how she's helping herself in the future with the Republican Party. Like Ron DeSantis, he was playing. He decided to get out of the race because he wants to prepare for 2028. Um, Haley, by going on to South Carolina and by, you know, hearing what Trump said about her last night, I don't know if that helps her right now with, with, with Republican voters. And certainly raising the uh, senility question with him challenging him to a mental competence test in her uh, exit speech, her victory speech or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I mean, that was, yeah, absolutely, Mark. I mean, that wasn't, uh, uh, I mean... She was gracious at the beginning. Reconciliation. <laughs> she, she was, she was, I mean, it was nice at the beginning, but then she, yeah, she raised questions about whether Trump was like senile and couldn't tell the difference between herself and Nancy, Pelosi, you know, so the, the, that was not a, that was, she was sort of uh, punching with a smile, but, uh, and, and Trump certainly was, was quite, quite uh, upset about that. Could you see Trump picking her as his vice president and her taking that? And, you know, I mean, right now, obviously the, the, on both sides, the sentiments are raw, but she would actually do for him what he needs, which is to win over those independents and centrists. I mean, he's bleeding. So there was a political story yesterday that he's bleeding centrist voters right now. Uh, the polls are showing. Um, he needs those Haley voters. He needs Haley Democrats, uh, you, you know, just like the Reagan Democrats. He needs independents. He needs those people to win the election, and she could deliver them. Um, wouldn't, would he, first of all, would he be smart to pick her? And two, would he, uh, would, could you, could you possibly see it happening? So I would have thought there was an outside chance a few days ago. Like that, that, that would have been, at least for Haley, I thought that was sort of the exit, you know, that would have been sort of a good, a good compromise. And that's where the party is right now. It's a, it's a party that, you know, is, is Trump's party, but there's still a lot of different, you know, views and factions. And, and Haley represents a pretty sizable, uh, tr- you know, faction of, of traditional Republicans. And uh, so I thought that was quite possible, but not after the last 24 hours, Mark, I, I just don't think that's, that's really, um, I mean, Trump is a, someone who values loyalty. And if there was any chance to kind of get on the train and and have that still remain a possibility, it would have been last night if, if she essentially, you know, prepared to concede or at least prepared not to fight on to South Carolina. But that, 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 I just don't see that happening after, after last night. So you're saying there's a chance. (laughs) I'm I'm saying there was a chance. There was a chance. There was a chance. Small chance. Oh, that was great. <laughs> Let's look forward a little bit. 
I think that absent some sort of miracle, there isn't a serious pathway forward. Uh, you know, again, I mean, yes, South Carolina is almost a month away, but there's really no sign that Haley has traction to win in her home state. Her governor. There hasn't been a poll since October. Her governor, the governor of the state, who was her lieutenant governor, has endorsed Trump. The two senators from South Carolina have endorsed Trump. Hey, that sucks for Haley. Um, yes, you're Nancy right. Mace, uh, who she helped win, you know, has endorsed Trump. Without without Nikki Haley, Nancy Mace wouldn't be in Congress. Yeah, well, you know, politics is not a game for for nice people. What can we say? Um, nice or uh, nice or or classy people. Uh, and so there you go. Uh, but. If she doesn't, is there, is there any path at all? Let's be real. For the nomination, I mean, I find it, I mean, I, I, no, I mean, it, I think it's really hard. Now, you, you never know if, you know, Trump shoots himself in the foot and, you know, I, who knows, like hell, you know, they're always wild cards, but she, you can't win a, a, a one-on-one race with 25% at best of, of, of the Republican vote. Like the New Hampshire was as good as a home field advantage as Haley could possibly get. And you know, look, she did. Maybe a little better than expected, but still lost by 11, 12 points, uh, and, and, and lost among Republicans by a healthy margin. So that, that's where her, she's at a dead end. She's sort of at a, at a crossroads. And that, that's going to be the big question going forward. Right. So last night, before the votes were counted, Ronna McDaniel, the chairwoman of the Republican National Committee said something, I paraphrase, Ronna McDaniel said something like, Ah, let's call this quits. You know, this primary process is, is, is done. Donald Trump is the winner. And, uh, let's just, let's just stop this primary process. I mean, I thought that was incredible that she said it, especially before the votes were counted. But is that what's going to happen? Look, I mean, she's going to speak out for the interests of the party. And, and look, it's, I mean, that the interests of Ronald McDaniel would be for Nikki Haley to concede and endorse Trump and, Everyone sings Kumbaya and, and that, that, that's, you know, that, that, that's what could, you know, that's what could have happened last night. I thought that was a possibility. Uh, but instead we've taken door number two, which is, you know, Haley continues on, attacks Trump, Trump attacks Haley, and this party is not united. And, uh, I, look, I think that's what, what the RNC wants, uh, is often not what it gets, as we've learned in, in recent years. So, um, no, I mean, I think it's good. There's going to be a lot more fireworks going forward. So what's her thinking? Why is she continuing? Why do you think, you know, she's, she's talking about not just South Carolina, but Super Tuesday. And, you know, there's some states where if she did well in South Carolina, she could be competitive in some of those states. It's Vermont and Massachusetts and, you know, the <laughs> California. Winning the unwinnable states in a general. You know, well, look, does, th- does she just want, does she, does she want to keep going until she wins a couple of states maybe so she can claim that she won some states or does she, uh, you know, I, I just don't know what, if you don't see a path for her to win the nomination, what, what is she doing? Well, I'll tell you what the Haley campaign will, will say. I mean, look, they, they think South Carolina is home cooking. She did win two, two terms as, as governor. She had some of the, one of the biggest comeback stories in politics in 2010 when she ran against a lot more established, uh, male politicians and won in a, in a decisive victory in 2010. So she's got a lot of experience in South Carolina. She's not been on a ballot in a little, little while, uh, you know, since 2014. So, look, look, I think they, they think there's home cooking in South Carolina. They have four weeks to get their message out there and, and spend money. 
And then they point to these open primaries on Super Tuesday, states like Michigan, Virginia, where you also have independent voters being able to cast ballots uh, and where there may be more moderate voters in, in those types of states. But look, I, you know, again, New Hampshire is about as good as it gets. When you look at the number of independents, you look at the number of moderates, this is about as good as it gets for someone like Haley. So, I, I you know, she, she would need to have like a really um, quick turnaround in South Carolina. And I just think the odds of that, when you look at the polls and when you look at some of the fundamentals and endorsements, um, it's, it's just not going to be easy. So let's look forward for a second and wrap up with this incredibly depressing conversation. Looks like we're going to have a replay of 2020 unless one of the, you know, octogenarians dies, which is or, certainly or possible. Or, or goes to jail. <laughs> that's, oh, that's good. Mark, thank you. That's a question actually <laughs> nobody asked. We, we've been so obsessed with New Hampshire. Let me change my question. What happens if Donald Trump is convicted in one of the cases against him? Yeah, that that's the big X factor going forward. Uh, you look at polls now, and that reflects a snapshot in time. But, you know, we're going to have, I think we'll be spending more time in the courtroom over the next uh, year than the campaign trail. And uh, that is going to be an impact. You know, the polls show that there are there is a critical mass of, of, of voters that are going to be watching closely, and that may make a difference in a competitive general election. So that, that is a one of the big X factors uh, going forward. Who does Donald Trump pick for vice president? What are the, what are his options? And can he win the presidency? What has New Hampshire shown us about his prospects for winning the actual presidency of the general election? I mean, the smart move, I think, is to do what he did in 2016. In 2016, he needed, you know, to show evangelicals and traditional conservatives that he was um, reliable. And he picked uh, Mike Pence. And I think that played a big role in his success in, in 2016. You know, I think he's going to have to go. Well, he's, he can do whatever he wants. He could double down on the base. He could pick someone like J.D. Vance and try to kind of brand himself as sort of the MAGA, MAGA ticket. But I think the smarter play would be to try to win over those hesitant Trump skeptical voters that Haley represents. And that that's where you look at someone, you know, I've seen Alabama Senator Katie Britt's name mentioned, Tim Scott's name, you know, saw Tim Scott last night. That wasn't, I don't think, his finest moment in politics, but that his name is mentioned in that in that regard. So the, there are names of people who certainly could be bridge builders for Trump to more traditional Republican voters. My, that is my exit question. What makes us think if we replay 2020, that the outcome is going to be any different than 2020. I mean, big picture is Biden's the incumbent. So, you know, in, in theory, he, he bears the responsibility. If the economy's not good, it's, people are going to blame Biden. If they blame Trump for COVID in 2020, they're going to blame Biden for the economy if it, if it continues to be in a little bit of a, of, of a inflationary funk. Um, so that's the difference that, that Biden bears the burdens of incumbency. Whereas in 2020, it was Trump who was, the sitting president. But it, but it goes both ways. Like the economy could get a little better and that, that could benefit uh, the president. And it also, you, you also have, you know, Biden wants to run against Trump because he thinks that you can make this a race about two presidents, two, two incumbents, um, not a challenger. And that, that's the big, that's the big, uh, worry, I think, in, in Republican circles that Trump is just a lot of baggage. And, and that's, we saw that last night and that's what we're going to look ahead to in the general election. But in 2020, he actually didn't bear the burdens of incumbency because the Gallup poll in October, right before the general election, I think 56% of Americans said they're better off now than they were four years ago, which was the highest it had ever been in the Gallup poll. In the middle of the worst pandemic since 1918, in the middle of racial unrest, in the middle of a worst economic crisis since the Great And he lost. And he lost. So (laughs) I don't think it was the burdens of incumbency that, that, that brought him down. It was him. 
Well, yeah, but, but that, that's kind of what I'm saying. Co- I mean, yeah. COVID was the big, big story in 2020. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think there were enough voters that just didn't think he handled it effectively. And that was a big, big burden on him. That's probably true. So, you know, can he win? Yeah. How's, I mean, look, I, victory. How does he win? I think you look at the polls now and you see the pathway that, that the same battleground states of the Midwest, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, um, those are going to be close races. And, uh, whether it's the economy worries about Biden's, uh, handling of immigration, worries about uh, just sort of the overall foreign, you know, global picture. Um, there's just a lot of malaise out there. And that, like, going back to the incumbent, if, 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 if you don't feel like you're better off than you were four years ago, to borrow the, the phrase from Ronald Reagan, you're, you're going to tend to vote for a challenger. The hope for the Biden folks is that the challengers is deemed unacceptable and they'll vote, hold their nose and kind of do what they did in the midterms a lot two, two years ago, that they, they want to vote Republican, but some of these candidates just don't, don't fit the bill. All right, Josh. Well, you've got to run off to America's newsroom. So tell tell Bill and Dana I said hi, and uh, thank you for previewing uh, your comments here on on the pod. We love having you on. We'll Thanks do. so much, Thanks, Josh. Josh. We're really grateful. Thank you. Okay, so Mark, let's talk a little bit more uh, about the lawsuits, the cases against Donald Trump. Uh, you know, Josh said that is the X factor, right? That is the one thing that we don't know about. And uh, I guess my view is that they have as much potential to help him. Certainly the case in Georgia and the malfeasance of Fannie Willis, the, the district attorney there, has must have been helping him because that woman looks like she looks like she she's working to help him with uh, dating the lawyer she chose to to prosecute him, who's also been gallivanting all over the country on that on the money he's got from that prosecution. It's just incredible. What do you think? Well, they, they have a multiple effect. I mean, one one of the effects has been already we're seeing, which is to rally the Republican Party around Donald Trump, uh, because I think a lot of Republicans rightly see that, you know, they're waging lawfare against Trump. I mean, he's got 91 indictments now. The Unabomber had 10. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like it's it's, yeah. it's it's absurd, you know, the, right. the lengths to which they've gone to. And so this has rallied the Republican Party around Donald Trump. The problem is, is that the Republican base is not going to decide the election. It's going to be decided by a few hundred thousand independents and swing voters in a half dozen swing states. And they're going to have they're going to decide who the next president is. And so the question is, what is the impact on them and their thinking uh, when it comes to, you know, if, if Trump is convicted of a felony? I mean, there's a number of polls showing that a lot of a lot of people will not vote for him if he's convicted of a felony. That won't affect his standing in the Republican Party, but it will certainly affect his standing with the independent swing voters who decide the election. And then the other thing is. The other impact of it is putting aside, let's say he isn't even convicted. I mean, it's possible that all these cases will get punted till past the election. I mean, there's all sorts of legal machinations uh, that can happen. But the, in order for Donald Trump to win, I mean, one of the things Josh said, which I thought was fascinating, is that Joe Biden now bears the burdens of incumbency, right? Well, that is true if the election is a referendum on Joe Biden. But Joe Biden wants to make the re- election a referendum on Donald Trump. And you know who else wants to do that? Donald Trump, right? He right. loves to be the center of conversation. And what is the, what are we going to be talking about? We're going to be talking about his court cases. We're going to be talking about his mishandling of classified information. We're going to be talking about the 2020 election. And all the things, you know, right now he's tight with Biden in the polls because he's been in the basement for three years, effectively. 
He hasn't been in people's faces every day. He hasn't been on the TV screens. They haven't been watching him, except for the, these occasional, you know, occasional courtroom appearances and all the rest of it. It's going to be everywhere, uh, you know, start once, once the general election starts. And so it, the court cases help Biden in his goal of making this about Trump. No, I think, look, I think, I think that's absolutely true. And another point that I think is important to make about these court cases is that just as we said that Donald Trump could have been a magnanimous unifier in New Hampshire and chose not to be, these court cases truly rip the lid off and expose the worst Donald Trump, right? Because he becomes so unhinged in his anger and part of that anger is justified. You know, you make the Unabomber comparison. Part of that anger is justified, right? In some of these cases, we talked about that. Part of it is not justified. Part of it he brought on himself. Nonetheless, he is going to expose more and more people to that unhinged, absolutely batshit Donald Trump, who is not somebody who you want with his, you know, with his hands on the nuclear football. And I think that's also going to be harmful to him because he can't control himself. Yeah, well, uh, you know, a lot of people are going to the choice is going to be, do you want Joe Biden's hands on the nuclear football or Donald Trump's? And those, you know, you're going to have to a lot of people going to have to choose between two imperfect, shall we say, uh, with subtlety, uh, imperfect choices. Well, but remember, what Donald Trump is going to tell the voters is not that uh, they're going to choose about Joe Biden's hands on the football. It is that they're going to be choosing Kamala Harris's ha- uh, hands on the that football. That is absolutely true. And that, I think, I is, a, is, a, morning, is a more persuasive argument. I said on Fox this morning that if, I was advi- if Trump is the nominee, I would advise him to show up at the vice presidential debate and, and say, I'm going to debate her, too. <laughs> because she's the real candidate. Um, well, and, that, and, that, and by the way, it. can I just say, that would be epic. epic. <laughs> <laughs> Let's end on that note, because yeah. that ends with a smile on my face for once. Oh, and that's uh, the, talking about the election. That's quite an accomplishment. <laughs> uh, you are not kidding. Hey, folks, thanks for being with us and take care. We'll see you next week. Let us know what topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing us at whatthehell at AEI.org. Or you can reach us on Twitter. I'm at D. Pletka. And I'm at Mark Thiessen. That's Mark with a C. Please rate and review the podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe, share it, comment on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.